Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today, we're continuing our devotional reading through the Gospels with Matthew chapter 3, and we're going through the second half of the chapter. We did the first half yesterday, so if you haven't listened to that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that before we get into today's content. So I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version and starting at verse 7 of Matthew chapter 3. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance and do not assume that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is being cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee of the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have the need to be baptized by you, and yet you were coming to me. But Jesus, answering, said to him, Allow it at this time. For in this way, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And after he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on him. And behold, a voice from the heavens said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So there's a lot of imagery going on here that I think it's easy to get confused if you don't understand some of those things. So I wanted to pull out a couple things to help explain what's going on in this passage. So initially, if you remember back to yesterday, we're at this baptism scene where John the Baptist has come and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. And then as he's doing that, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are coming for baptism. Now, if you are like me, when you have read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, sometimes we just lump them together and and they're often seen together in scriptures. So I think that's normal. I want to make it clear that this is two distinct groups of people that are actually in opposition to each other most of the time. So John sees them coming and he knows that they aren't really coming to give their seal of approval. No, he knows that they're coming together in opposition with each other even still, but they're coming in opposition to him and what he's doing. So just a couple words of explanation about each of these groups. So the Pharisees, that most likely comes from this Hebrew word, parasim, and that word means separated one, which is exactly what they were. They practiced being separate from everybody else. So they were very legalistic. They were very rigorous in following the Torah and the law, both the oral law and the written law. They were politically conservative, 
And they had lots of understandings and, and beliefs in things like angels or the supernatural within the context of, of Judaism at the time. And they believed in this coming Messiah. They did believe that the Messiah was coming, but in a different way than what we understand the Messiah to be. So they believed in the Messiah that would come and take care of the Gentiles. They did not believe in a Messiah that would come and include the Gentiles, which we know Jesus did. So they did not think in any way, shape, or form that the coming Messiah would be anything more than just for the Jews. And so they had a lot of influence over the local people because they were the ones that were in charge of running the local synagogues. And so maybe you can already start to see where some of the tension is going to come with the Pharisees. Now, the Sadducees, this was a smaller group of the elites, basically the wealthy, and they were and the religious, and they were mostly involved with the running of the temple. So they were the opposite of the Pharisees politically. They were very liberal politically, but they were conservative in their religion. And these were the guys that made up most of the Sanhedrin. They did not hold to the oral tradition. They only held to the written word. But even with that, they were super, super strict. They only believed in the words of Moses as the written word. So the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, they held very, very strictly and they believed it should be understood literally. So because they only believed in the Torah, they basically rejected everything that wasn't written by Moses. So they didn't believe in things like angels or the resurrection or spiritual life even, because those things were outside of those first five books. So they really were not looking for a Messiah. They had a lot of wealth. They had a lot of power. They really didn't need rescued in their minds from the Gentiles, like the Pharisees believed. And they didn't have this relationship with the common people. They themselves were pretty separate. So in the book of Matthew, and really for most of the gospels, we see that the Sadducees are the main opposition against Jesus, especially in the book of Matthew. And there's a couple reasons for that. First, they strictly adhered to the law. And now Jesus is coming on the scene as the only correct interpreter of the law, because we know that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And as part of the Trinity, Jesus was the author of the law. So he was the only one that could correctly explain the law. And they didn't like that. And that was their job. And then the second part of that is he explained the law in a way that showed that they misunderstood a lot of it. So they were threatened by Jesus, essentially. I want to go on and talk a little bit about baptism in this culture. You know, if you are from a modern day culture, and I think even what we understand as baptism in the church today, it was different than what they understood it back then. So at this point in their culture, you're thinking, you know, this ancient Jewish population, they had different kinds of washings or baptisms that they practiced throughout this time frame and really throughout the history of the Israelites and the Old Testament people. And most of the time, the baptisms were part of religious rituals. So they would purify themselves after being unclean. If you remember back from the Old Testament, then, of course, the book of the law and all of the things that came with that law were things that made people clean and unclean. So to become clean again, after doing something that made you unclean, there was this purification ritual that would happen that was part of that process. And so it was an outward representation of the work that God had been doing on the heart and the mind. And so that was practiced in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. There's also a second set or a different kind of washing or baptisms that were voluntary. They weren't necessarily done by the people because the religious leaders told them they had to. It was just this voluntary way 
to have this symbolism of having a pure heart before God. And so sometimes that was before something like a ceremony, like a wedding or a service or going to the temple. And other times it was just a personal thing, similar to daily prayer. So some people would do it even more than once a day, and they did it as part of their prayer life. At the time that this was written, though, John is talking about a different kind of baptism. There was this different kind of baptism that many scholars believe was one time, and it symbolized the Gentiles coming over to Judaism. So as somebody was a Gentile, meaning they weren't Jewish, and they converted to Judaism, they would get baptized as this outward representation of, again, of what God was doing in their heart. Now, John's baptism was even a little bit different from that. It was to symbolize purification, and it was one time, But it was really with this understanding that the Messiah was coming and is preparing the heart. And it was this profession of faith getting ready for this Messiah to come. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were coming down to either get baptized themselves or see what was going on, they weren't really coming down for the reason that John was baptizing people. They were coming down to start trouble, essentially. In verse seven, I love this. Verse seven, John calls them a brood of vipers. What does that mean? Well, you could probably guess, but basically that refers to baby snakes that come out of the mama viper snake. And that was an old proverb at the time that talked about how you don't expect them and they're really subtle before they attack. And so they, that would be a term that was used to call somebody, you know, that was sneaky, that was getting ready to pounce. But the brood of vipers, when they're born, after they're born, Part of that process is they kill the mother. And of course, this points back to the original serpent in the garden, the devil. But when John calls the Pharisees and the Sadducees a brood of vipers, he's literally calling them evil. And in some ways, he's prophetically talking about this fact that they would be responsible for the death of Jesus. I didn't want you to miss that. In verse 10, it talks about good fruit. And we will be talking about good fruit throughout the Gospels. But essentially, that's a metaphor that comes from the Gospels talking about doing the work of the kingdom and producing good fruit or good results. And that's the equivalent of working hard to build the kingdom of God. And then verse 11, it talks about the Holy Spirit and fire. And this is a foreshadowing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that the disciples will receive later. We'll learn about that in chapter 28 of Matthew. And we don't see a ton of references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Matthew, but the Holy Spirit was this foundational understanding that Matthew had of who Jesus was and the way that Jesus operated. So we're going to continue to learn more about that as we go through the book of Matthew. Verse 12, verse 12 talks about a winnowing fork. And maybe you're like me, maybe you have no idea what that is or what that meant. But essentially, a winnowing fork is like a large pitchfork. You see, at the end of a season, and remember, this was an agricultural environment culture. So if you're not a farmer and you don't understand that, or if you're not a first century Jew, you might not understand this. But at the end of the season, a farmer would bring the wheat that they've harvested to this stone or maybe like a hard packed dirt surface. And it often had like this wall around it to keep everything in and basically a large kind of plate, basically. And they would process that wheat there. So they would take this large pitchfork and they would throw the wheat up into the air. And as they did that, the wind would blow 
part of that, the lighter part away, and it would leave the good wheat heads on the threshing floor. And then they would take that wheat and they would store it in the granary and they would later grind it into flour and make bread and all that kind of stuff. And so that's what he's talking about here. And I'm actually going to put a picture of a winnowing fork that would have been used at that time frame on my Patreon. So if you want to check that out, actually, I'll put it in the discussion Patreon page. So that way you can see a pretty clear picture of it. Or if you want to share it or something like that, you can do that. You can check that out. But what does the winnowing fork have to do with anything? Well, John expected the Messiah to come. But he expected him to come in a way differently than Jesus did. He expected him to come and there would be this season of judgment. And so this is interesting because later what happens is John actually questions if Jesus was the Messiah. We see that in Matthew chapter 11. We'll talk about that in a, in a couple of weeks. But because he had this different expectation of how the Messiah would act, he had a hard time believing if Jesus was even the Messiah. And so many scholars think that John saw himself as this Elijah kind of figure, which we talked about yesterday with his clothes and the description of him. Elijah comes before what the book of Malachi calls a great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, Jesus did use some of that kind of language later, but he didn't act in a way that John was expecting in terms of fire and judgment when he came on the scene. I think that's an important point that I just want you to tuck away and think about. Jumping down to verse 16, it talks about how heaven was opened. And this is a really common way the scripture describes revealing something important. So this one, at this time, when he's talking about heaven being opened, it's the representation of the spirit of God. And it's a really important mark in the life of Jesus because it's when he received that anointing and that commissioning work that he's now going to be doing. And this scene was the precursor to the public ministry of Jesus. So there's a lot going on here in this passage. And then finally, in verse 17, the words, this is my son whom I love. I am well pleased. There are other references to this kind of language in the Old Testament. We see it when Abraham refers to his son, Isaac, who was going to be the sacrifice. And then we also see it in Psalm 2 and we see it in Isaiah 42. And What's interesting about that, especially when you look at the way it was written in the original text, those two verbs, love and well-pleased, are used in the same way in those instances. And so again, this is referring back to some of the Old Testament prophetic language around the Messiah that was predicting what would happen. And then this scene also helps us understand that as the ministry of Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit, it was the Holy Spirit operating through Jesus as part of the Trinity as he was performing miracles, the things that he did, that was an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's what empowers Jesus for ministry. So I just want to say real quickly before we go and we read through this passage again, when I read this, it, it makes me feel a sense of grace because even John the Baptist gets it wrong sometimes. And, you know, we know the history of John. We know that John is listening to God's voice. He's being obedient to God, but he still had this human expectation of how the Messiah was going to come. And Jesus surprised everyone, even John the Baptist. And I think sometimes we can fall in this trap of thinking that just because we're believers or studying the word that we have it all figured out. We don't. 
And this is a clear example of that. Even John the Baptist didn't have it figured out. And so I don't know about you, but I certainly don't put myself in the same category as John the Baptist. And if he even got it wrong sometimes, I think it's okay to give ourselves grace when we get it wrong. I think sometimes we have an expectation of how Jesus is going to work, how the Messiah is going to act in our lives. And when he doesn't, it can be frustrating for us. But instead of placing that expectation on him, I think it's better for us just to experience him because he does operate in grace and mercy and love. And it's not that there isn't a season for judgment. There certainly is. And we're going to feel that at different times in our lives, especially in the afterlife. But I think also recognizing that we serve a God of grace who wants us to get it. Now, we're going to continue learning about that more and more as we continue with the Gospels. But I just want to point that out to make sure that you're starting to think along those lines as well. So given that insight, I'm going to back and read starting in verse seven of Matthew chapter three. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you offspring of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance and do not assume that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is being cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have the need to be baptized by you, and yet you are coming to me. But Jesus answering said to him, Allow it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us all to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. After he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending on a dove and settled on him. And behold, a voice from the heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Father God, we thank you so much for the grace that we see. So many things we see in this passage, but the grace that we see, even when John gets it wrong. I mean, the guy baptized Jesus and even he got it wrong. God, help us to recognize that you are a God of grace and you can use us even if we get it wrong, even if we're making a mistake, even if we misunderstand or you don't act in the way that we expect or anticipate. God, help us to lean into those moments and recognize that you are a God that operates in grace. And there is no place for our shame or insecurity because we're not dependent upon ourselves. We're dependent on you as the Messiah, as the anointed one. So God, we thank you for what you reveal to us, your heart that's revealed to us in this passage. And I pray that as we go throughout our day today, we would have a better and clearer understanding of who you are and who you want to be in our lives. Lord, we thank you and praise you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, friends, have a great day. We'll talk tomorrow. Hey, friends, before you go, I want to make sure you know about our Patreon page. 
The Patreon page is really a place to gain all sorts of resources specifically for the Hearing Jesus podcast and the Hearing Jesus for Kids podcast. There's a specific and dedicated private Facebook group, which is a place for me to interact with you, to pray with you, to answer questions. I'd love it for you to join us there. And there's also another level that gives you the inside scoop on everything else that's going on. The journaling prompts are there. If you've been with us for some time, you know that I usually do journaling prompts that helps us get that information from the head to the heart. We have a downloadable daily prayer prompt that helps you get that information processed in a way that it affects your daily life. There's also a Bible reading tracker on there. There's bonus episodes, lots of things on an ongoing basis, a place where you can get all the resources to help you grow in your faith. And the second thing I want to mention to you is the Dawn app, which if you've never heard of that before, I have good news for you. I just recently recorded a series for the Dawn app and also did some writing for them. And it's a daily Bible study and prayer app that is completely free. The link for that is in the show notes. And then the last thing I'm super excited about, I want to tell you that we're going to start having opportunities for travel. This is going to look a couple different ways, depending on what you're looking for, but it's going to cover things like mission trips in-person retreats, and also eventually a Bible study trip to Rome. What I'm doing right now is I'm getting everybody's contact information so we can start communicating about what that might look like. So if you are interested in any of that, you can head to shehears.org for more information. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going.